So I wanted to talk about, um, last week I shared about being sons of your father and how loving your enemies is what your father does. And so to be sons that are like our father, we're to love our enemies. And it says that when you, when you uh, give to those who give back to you or you greet those who greet you, what credit is that to you? Because even the Gentiles do that, meaning even people who have other gods that are not even alive do that. No other gods are actually living. There's the one true living God, right? So <laughs> people that are not, that are worshiping false gods and dead gods are actually giving to those who give to them, greeting those who greet them, being kind to those who are kind to them. So what separates you as a son of God is the ability to love your enemy because that's supernatural love, right? And so I want to talk about a few more things of what that looks like. And I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 1. And this is um, Brian Simmons who wrote the Passion Translation. I got this from him, and it's, it's pretty amazing. I feel like it's a prophetic word for what God is doing. And so Proverbs 30, verse 1 says, These are the collected sayings of the prophet Agur, Jacques' son, at the, and the amazing revelation he imparted to Ithiel and Eucal. All right? So when you take the meanings of these names that are mentioned in verse 1, you can get a prophetic statement out of it, okay? So Agur means to gather a harvest, and it means, the, the, you know, he's the son of Jacques. Jacay means blameless or obedient, and it can be another name for David, all right? Ithiel, God is with me, or God has arrived. Eucal, I am able, or I am strong and mighty. So when you combine these, these names together, this is what it can mean. To gather a harvest of sons who are blameless and obedient. They will have God with them, and they will be strong and mighty. Gather a harvest of sons who are blameless and obedient. They will have God with them. They will be strong and mighty. And so the wisdom of God, wisdom is better than weapons of war, is what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 9 says, There is a poor man who by his wisdom saved a city but one sinner destroys much good and so it's talking about how you know one one sinner can almost set a city on fire or one sinner can you know cause a lot of distress in a family or whatever but wisdom has the ability to save cities wisdom has the ability to save families and one of the things I keep hearing the Lord talk about right now in this season is about the home and it's like he's he's wanting us to get back to the home where there's there's peace in the home where there's love in the home where mom and dad their marriage is good where mom and dad are loving on the babies where the lord is the centerpiece you know where we read the scriptures to each other we pray for one another 
and Jesus has first place, and we're, we're not, part of the, the whole quarantine time was that we, as a whole American culture, but the, the American church was caught up in this, is that we got to slow down. We have to make time for the Lord. And when you're not traveling, how many of y'all, t- I mean, I was like, when you don't drive anywhere, you realize how much time you have. I was like, man, I'm, I'm like, have done a bunch of stuff and I've still got a the whole day left, you know? And so when you, when you are resting and you're staying at home, so to speak, I'm not telling you to be a homebody or anything like that. I'm just saying, God is saying, welcome me back into the home. Don't plan on meeting me at church or thinking that's the only place, but, but make, invite God into your home. Just, say, just even say, it's as simple as this, Jesus, you're welcome in our home. Holy Spirit, this is your house. This is your house. My body is your temple. This house is your temple. That barn's your temple. That field's your temple. Because he said there, what can't, you can't build a place that can contain me, right? But he's chosen to dwell in us. And so C.T. Studd said the light that shines the furthest, he was a missionary, but he said the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. So we can't go saving the world with Jesus if our homes are not in order first. And so it's, it's, it's about everybody cultivating their own relationship with the Lord. It's about teaching our children how to connect with God how to relate with the Lord, how to seek the Lord. And this is just a few things that I felt like God wanted me. It's not necessarily connected to the sermon, but I just, there was just a couple of things about prayer I felt like God wanted me to say this morning. And it's things that he has said to me. I remember uh, it was like a couple of weeks ago and I was, I'd gotten home from work and I was going to spend some time in prayer. And I was just like, in my mind, I was just like, there's, there is like some heavy stuff in our country and need to pray for. And I'm just like, oh, and, and the Lord, I, he just kind of interrupted me. He said, don't rush. Don't rush. So many times we're like, oh, I need to pray. I need to pray. Let me get it done. Let me get it done. But the Lord's just saying, don't rush. So don't rush your times with the Lord. Don't rush when you're praying. Just sit and say, Lord, I love you. And you just be at rest and you wait on him. Wait on the Lord. And there's this, I heard this saying that I think is amazing. It says the wait, W-E-I-G-H-T, the weight of, meaning the glory of the Lord, the weight is in the wait. The wait is in the wait. And so many, so many times we're rushing, we're rushing and rushing again, part of quarantine. Slow it down. Don't rush. And the other thing is, guys, the book of prayer in the Bible is the Psalms, right? These were songs. These were songs. Sing your prayers to the Lord, and you'll have a more enjoyable prayer time. <laughs> so don't rush. And sing your prayers to the Lord. You're like, Lord, help me get an A in biology. Or I'm just, but, but for me, I'm just like, I'm like, Lord, 
Have mercy on our nation, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. And then it's the prophetic starts flowing in you. And Lord starts giving you the things to sing. And you're like, I just spent an hour. How did I get here? As opposed to like, oh, Lord, mercy. Mercy over our nation. Crap. It's only been five minutes. Um, mercy, mercy. Yeah, yeah. So, but don't rush and sing your prayers to the Lord. All right. So he's gathering a harvest of sons who are blameless and obedient. They will have God with them. They will be strong and mighty. And this is a, a picture of wheat and tares. And so Jesus told the parable about there is a, a field of wheat and the disciples noticed that there was tares in the field. And they're like, an enemy has done this, Lord. Do you want us to pull up the tares? And he said, no, if you pull up the tares right now, you're going to pull up the wheat. Wait until the harvest comes. And then the harvesters will separate the wheat from the tares. And then he goes on to explain what the meaning is. And he says that the wheat are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the devil of the, of the world. And the tares are going to be burned with fire the wheat gathered into the barn of God, to, gathered with God. And so one of the interesting things about wheat and tares is that as it's growing up, you can't tell the difference between wheat and tares. They look exactly, the, almost exactly the same. And so that's why Jesus said, don't wait. Wait till the harvest because you're going to tear up the wheat too because it's hard to tell. He said, but when it's time for harvest, when the time has come, when the, the wheat and the tares are mature, then you will be able to tell wheat from tares. So what's interesting is when wheat has matured, it bows over. Look right here. You see how it's bowed over? The tares are still standing straight up. So the difference between the sons of God and the sons of the world is the sons of God bow in humility and the tares stand up in pride. And so Jesus is saying, we'll be able to tell at the harvest time who are the sons of God and, and who are not by the way they bow to me, by their submission to me, by their humility before me. And what humility before God looks like is, God, I have nothing to give. I have, there is nothing in and of myself that is worthy. I have no, I have no wisdom I have no goodness. I have no righteousness. You are my everything. All I have is found in you, Lord Jesus. That's what humility looks like. It looks like going back to the garden where you're, dependent, where you're walking with your father and you're dependent upon him and you don't know what's good from evil, meaning you don't decide what is good and evil. The problem with mankind is there's a whole bunch of people that have decided they know what is good and evil, Right? We got people telling us all the time, no, that's good. No, that's evil. And then nobody's listening to the Lord who actually knows what's good and what's evil. And so the sons of the kingdom will bow like the wheat. Hebrews chapter 2, 
I promise I made it bigger than this on my slide. It, it shrunk it when it went to ProPresenter. But uh, it's covering my whole screen right here. But anyways, hopefully you, you can read it. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So what... What this is saying is like, listen, God, he, he spoke to us and he backed up his, what he spoke with signs, wonders, and miracles. And then angels spoke to us and they delivered the message of God and they backed it up with signs, wonders, and miracles. And then his messengers, men like you and women like you and I, they spoke the word of God and they backed it up with signs, wonders, and miracles. And so the point is when God speaks, he backs it up with power. He backs it up with power. Charles Finney, uh, evangelist and revivalist in the mid-1800s, part of this second great awakening that, that swept America, the Lord, there was such a uh, anointing on his life. This is similar like when Peter walked by, people, people tried to get in Peter's shadow so they could get healed. That's when God's... You're hidden in the shelter of his wings. That's when you're hidden in God, right? And so Charles Finney operated on a similar level. He went into a, a clothes factory in New York, and he walked in the door, and he never said a word, and the fear of God hit the whole factory. And people started repenting and calling out to Jesus, and Charles Finney had not said a word. Ed Silvoso, who's a modern day apostle but he you know he said over quarantine they had uh some people come make repairs on their house and the repair people and they didn't say one word about jesus the repair people came into the house and said what do you have i need i have to have it i need what you have and they had not said one word what they were feeling was the presence of god they're like what, whatever you have this is what i was born for and so there is that place of living and, and, and stewarding and honoring the presence of God. And it, it's, it's a thing that we build in our lives. You build this place with God. You're building a house is what Peter says, right? He says, you're building a house. So you don't think that the times where you like, you read your Bible and um, you're like, Lord, I didn't have any groundbreaking revelation today. Don't think that way. Think I'm building a house. I just laid some mortar on some brick today. And then you come and, and maybe there's, it's the day that you, everything's framed up and you have, whoo, wow, that was good. Uh, you, you see something out of the Bible that you never saw before. But the point is, keep building. And then you get to rejoice when it's complete. Verse 7, or 5 through 9, 7 through 9. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, talking about Jesus, putting everything in subjection under his feet. 
and now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. And now at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him for a little, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So repeat after me. Nothing is outside of Jesus' control. Though I don't see everything in subjection to you right now, I believe that it is. I believe in your kingdom more than the kingdoms of the world. Jesus, my king, thank you for tasting death for me. Verses 10 through 11. Say, for it is fitting that he, for whom, by, for, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, and that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Say, thank you, Jesus, that you're not ashamed to call me brother or sister, whichever one applies. So we're made complete and mature through sufferings. Jesus showed us the way. And what is, what is suffering? Does this mean um, I don't believe that sickness is part of what God puts on us to, to teach us a lesson? I believe he uses all things for the good. But what suffering is, the way because Jesus was never sick, right? The scriptures say he was never sick. And so, how did Je what suffering did Jesus undergo? It says he learned obedience by the things he suffered. So, the suffering that we have to understand in following Jesus is in the obedience sometimes, right? God calls you to Mozambique for a season. The obedience means you might get malaria, right? Or there's going to be humongous centipedes on your ceiling that might drop on your face while you're sleeping. You know, it's like, <laughs> or Jesus tells you to share his good news with somebody, the obedience may produce a suffering of rejection. And Ben Fitzgerald says, all you need is 10 good rejections to break the fear of man off your life. So there's some motivation for you. So anyways, but that's, but when you obey, there's, there's a little bit of suffering involved. And so until that thing dies in you where you don't, the thing that's being killed off is dead, right? There comes a glory part. There comes a resurrection part where you're like, somebody's like, get out of here, you stinking Christian. And you're like, dude, that felt good, man. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, I get to share in your sufferings. That's why when we read what Peter says, he says, rejoice, that you're undergoing these things because you're, you're becoming mature and complete, not lacking anything. Peter, what are you talking about, man? That hurt. But Peter was a dead man. And then Hebrews 1, 9. This is a key to joy. This is one of the keys to joy. You have loved righteousness 
and hated lawlessness. Therefore, your God, he's talking about Jesus, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So the, he was anointed with the oil of gladness because he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. So have you noticed something among anarchists? They're miserable. Joy is only found in coming into alignment with the one who created joy and is joy himself. That's the Lord. If you want to have joy, love righteousness and hate lawlessness, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He says, another translation says, happy is he who meditates on the law, who loves the law of the Lord. So there is this man named R.C. Chapman, who was a devout Christian. And someone asked him how he was feeling. He said, man, I'm burdened this morning. I'm burdened. But his happy countenance contradicted his words. So the questioner exclaimed in surprise, he said, are you really burdened, Mr. Chapman? He said, yes, but it's a wonderful burden. It's an overabundance of blessings for which I cannot find enough time or words to express my gratitude. So seeing the puzzled look on the face of his friend, Chapman added with a smile, he says, I'm referring to Psalm 68, 19. It says, blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth me with his benefits. Even the God of our salvation. He said, this fully describes my condition. In that verse, the Father in heaven reminds us that he daily loads us with his benefits. Say, I'm burdened with the benefits of God. <laughs> so next time you say, I'm carrying a heavy burden. I've got too much blessing in my life. <laughs> and so one of the, so that's the joy of the Lord that he was carrying. And guys, I want us to have joy in this time. I, I've spent some time this past week purposely laughing in the car. And so I would just pray to us, like, Lord, I thank you that you're going to have your way in this nation. <laughs> Lord, thank you my children will be mighty in the earth. <laughs> and so then I was taking Lydia to practice yesterday, soccer practice, and I was worshiping the Lord, and then I just started getting the giggles. And, you know, Lydia's looking at me, I was like, I was like, is Lord's touching me, baby. And I was just crying, and I was just crying. I was like, <laughs> I didn't even, I, went, I was just, just crying and laughing. You don't have to have a reason to be happy. And so, it's just, and part of it is because I felt like the joy had been cultivated. It had been dug up, and it had been nurtured. And so, you need to nurture the joy that God has already put inside of you. There's a seed of joy through the Holy Spirit that's on the inside. Just put some water on it, give it some sun, and nurture that thing. You have the joy of the Lord. Nurture it. 
And I just want us to remember this. This is what God's doing, gathering a harvest of sons who are blameless and obedient. They will have God with them. So this morning, I want us to, uh, we're going to worship some more and have this time of ministry. And so I, let's, let's go ahead and, and stand up and the worship team come up. But one of the things I felt like God wanted to release is the gifts of the, his spirit. And so when I say release... Like I said, in the Holy Spirit, you have, you have these gifts. They're just, they're, they're just buried or they're hidden. And so when we say release, what it is is, is, you, is your heart opening up in faith for those things to start operating. And so I just, I just want, as we worship, I want you to receive, to say, God, increase the gifts of your spirit in my life that you be more sensitive to his voice, that, he, that you start noticing you're getting words of knowledge for people, that you're operating in, in healing, for, praying for healing for people, believing that when you lay hands on the sick that they recover. Believing that you are a person of faith, you're a person of boldness. Believing that you have tongues. Believing you can interpret tongues. And also the fruits of the Spirit that you, you operate in love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. You have self-control. And just one more thing I feel like God wants to break off is a spirit of anxiety. And so I was telling Tommy about a year ago, we were driving over uh, that new bridge at St. Simon's Island. It's like really high, right? And I was like, let's go over that bridge. It was my idea. And when we went over the bridge, I had a, a I didn't know what was happening at the time it was because it was the first time that ever happened, but I had a, like a panic attack. So like I had, my head felt like there was a tight band around my head and I felt like I was about to pass out and I was driving and we were on top of this bridge that was super high. It would have been bad news bears if I passed out. I grabbed Jessica's arm. I said, I'm about to pass out. And she, I mean, just came out of nowhere. She grabbed the wheel. I didn't pass out, but we got down to the bottom of the hill, pulled off to the side. And she drove the rest of the way. Later that day, I tried to drive again. It came on me again. I couldn't drive again. And then we, about 30 minutes from the house as we were coming home, I was like, I, I, I started panicking. I was like, I, am I going to be able to drive again? Because it was, the anxiety was attacking me. And Jessica was like, she encouraged me. She said, you need to drive the rest of the way home. And it was at night. And I, I was like this. It was like I'd never driven before. I was like, oh, shoot. I was just praying in tongues, worshiping the Lord. And I had a death grip on the wheel. She's like, just relax. She's like coaching me all the way home. But what that did was it broke it off of me. And so sometimes we resign ourselves like, oh, this is just something I got to live with. 
If it's not in Jesus, you don't have to live with it. If it's not in Jesus, it's not you. Don't say, this is, this is just who I am. If it's not Jesus, it's not who you are. You're a new creature, right? So yesterday I was at my uncle's funeral and I was praying. And right before I get up, that thing tried to come on me again. For what I don't know why. In that moment, why it tried to come on me. Felt like I was about to pass out right before I went up to pray. And I started praying in tongues, and then I started, I was like, I was like, you are not going to have any place in my life. And I was speaking to like a spirit. And so some of y'all dealing with anxiety, panic attacks, I feel like what the Lord wants you to know is like, it's a spirit. Don't receive it as who you are. And you tell that thing to go. And so I'd already, the Lord had already broken it off, but it tries to come, it, it will try to come back. And when, when it comes back, you, you tell it to go back to where it came from. And you speak to it. But you're, there's, there's power in your words, pray in the spirit. But I'm just telling you, don't settle. Don't settle for anything less than who Jesus says you get to be. And there is a war over your life. And so if you're dealing with anxiety, I want you to, just to pray to the Lord. I want you to ask the Lord to come minister to you. And if we'll have, Brittany, are you available to, for prayer? Um, Greg, are you available?